crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crimony. We're your hosts, Angela and Matt. If you can't tell the difference, that's your problem. I'm Angela. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Matt. (laughs) And we tell fucked up stories to each other to to pass pass the the time time. during this (laughs) pandemic. So... Without further ado. Oh, also, this podcast is brought to you by Humble Bee Herbal. That's Humble Bee Herbal. And now you can make your own soap. You have custom made soaps that you can make, and you don't have to wait like two weeks. They can do it in a day. It's insane. That's pretty cool. You can choose what scents you want and everything color, scents, all natural add ins. Nice. Like aloe or clays or charcoal. Now's the time you're at home. Better take care of those paws. Start buttering up your paws. <laughs> That's Humblebee Herbal. Just disclaimer that we know nothing about anything and we are just speculating just like some good old-fashioned speculators. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, JK. It's not real. Uh, None of it. Except it's the whole, all serious. the stories are horrible. Yeah, and except for those that are, are real. serious. And real. <laughs> and oh, real, no. Very real. But what we say about them, it's all just things that we've read online. We're not scholars. That are horrific, and we're trying to make light of horrible situations. Because we're degenerates, so. And we're bored as fuck. Yeah. Going through cycles of being productive and being depressed so in between those times we've got something else to focus on horrible atrocities that other humans commit <laughs> at the cost of others what a great distraction uh, oh we're such good people so wholesome so wholesome okay i'm ready all right i'm gonna tell you the wonderful tale of a man a big big fat man oh. named nathaniel benjamin levi bar jonah that's a lot of names he was born david paul brown <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of okay good you know, start all right gave himself a little boost in that name uh he rebranded he himself. rebranded yeah he did a full rebrand from a added a few names boring old david paul brown <laughs> he was born on february 15th so he had the potential to be a Valentine's gift, but he was the day after disappointment. Oh, no. <laughs> nice. Nailed it. <laughs> 1957 in Worcester, Worcester, Worcester ooh, ooh, ooh. Massachusetts. Yeah, because it's not pronounced Worcester. Heaven Worcester. forbid it be pronounced like it's spelled the letters <laughs> <laughs> for us phonetic sound routers you can't get shit right no. these days you know i blame the 90s for getting us hooked on phonics <gasps> we were hooked on phonics they had no choice and i can't it, it's horrible it's horrible i'm still hooked to they this led day let us astray let us astray the 90s were a major time of being led astray <laughs> 
Ugh, okay. So, back to this wonderful, big, fat, fat Nathaniel Barjo. There were early signs that he wasn't a normal child. In fact, I would say that's a big under understatement. Barjona's earliest taste of human flesh can Stop be traced. It. What? <laughs> what? His earliest taste of human flesh can be traced to his childhood, beginning that at is about. <laughs> not a good way to start a sentence. It's it's the way to start his life story. Oh my god, we're just jumping right in. Okay. Jumping right in. So at the beginning, at about the age of six, yeah. he would pick his scabs until Ugh. his skin was festering. And then he proceeded to suck on the blood from the wound. <laughs> oh my god, so many bad words in that. Oh. His teachers at Webster Elementary School would call his mother numerous times to notify her that her son's habit was upsetting to the teachers and students. Um, yeah. Um, when he was later incarcerated, which uh, obviously not now at the age of six, but later on in the story. I mean, maybe he should have been for eating his scabs. <laughs> when he was incarcerated in Montana State Prison, many of the guards observed him performing the same habit. One guard reported that Barjona had the scab in his mouth and that he appeared to be having sex. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know what that means, but it sounds all bad. Disgusting. And I feel ill. Disgusting. Just a big fatty like... Stop it! Stop it! It's already bad enough. The words are bad enough without the sound effects. Uh, back to childhood. In late July 19... 19- Wait, can you imagine like being his mother and getting those calls from school? Constantly, like your son is still sucking on his scabs. Your little kid, like your little. Oh my god. Okay, Disgusting. go ahead. It's so gross. But I feel like there's always those kids in class that like pick their scabs at least. And eat them? I mean, I don't know about eating them, but mostly picking. I don't think I had any scab eaters in my classes. Or maybe you just didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I feel like if you don't have any scab eaters in your class, you are the scab eater. <laughs> I mean, couldn't you just be like a booger eater? That's pretty normal. Oh, that's better than scabs? I mean, who's to say? But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've never tried know. either, so I'm not sure. Ugh. Okay, go ahead. All right. In late July 1964, at seven years old, Barjona lured a five-year-old girl into his basement by telling her that he had a Ouija board that could predict the future. Oh my god. So they went down into the basement, and once they were down there, Barjona attempted to strangle the girl. Oh my god. But her screams attracted the attention of his mother, who good. came to her rescue. Which, like, can you imagine come, like hearing screaming and going to your basement and seeing your seven-year-old child strangling another child? No, I can't. Like, what would you do at that point? What would you, you know, do? Like, serious psychological help. What, what do you think she did? <laughs> Not get him psychological help. <laughs> yep, nothing came of the incident. Oh my god. I mean, I'm sure he got like a scolding or something or like a something like that, but it wasn't really reported and it just nothing nothing really came of it that was of So he note. was just he was just like evil from the get-go. I would say so. Something was off from start. 
man. In January of 1970, at the age of 12, Barjona managed to lure another neighbor, a six-year-old boy, to a nearby hill, claiming he wanted to go sledding with him. Once they arrived, Barjona sexually assaulted him. Oh my god, at 12? At 12, to a six-year-old. Yep. What the hell? Uh, and I couldn't really find anything about, like, him being arrested or anything. I think it just went away. A few years later, Barjona attempted to lure two boys riding their bicycles down his street to a nearby cemetery. Ew, creepy. Where he says he intended to murder them, but one of the boys grew suspicious and persuaded his friend not to go. When he's like a teenager, he's going to murder two children. Uh, yeah. Not e- Well, he was probably like 14 at that time. So barely a teenager. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Ew, I, was, I read somewhere that like one of the neighbors, because he lived in an apartment building, that one time he tried to attempt to lure her son into his house <gasps> by like rolling a ball out from his doorway towards the child out in the hall. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> That's like a Stephen King movie. Yeah. Follow the ball. Oh god, it's disgusting. Oh. In 1975, Barjona, at 17 years old, approached an 8-year-old boy on his way to school. Claiming to be a police officer, Jonah lured the boy into his car where he began to sexually assault and strangle him. Wait, 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 wait. Back up. Uh-huh. When he was 12 uh-huh. and sexually assaulted a little kid, mm-hmm. did anything come of that? Not that I could find. What the hell? So he's just going on being a creep, a horrible yep. person, and nothing. Just the neighborhood creep. Nothing's going on with him. And people kind of know that like he's the legally. neighborhood creep. Wow. Okay, so he dresses like a police officer, which is, like, one of the skeeziest things you can do. Uh-huh. And he's 17, so, like, I, he can't even look like like an adult. Like, you Well, know. to a little kid, though. Exactly. It, yeah, you're right. Oh. Everyone looks like an adult to a kid. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Luckily for the boy, though, a neighbor was looking out their window and saw that the boy was being abducted and called the police. Oh, my God. What a good neighbor. Yeah. And a patrol car later observed a car matching the one used in the abduction parked far away from others in a parking lot. After oh. calling yeah, yeah, after calling for backup, they ordered Jonah, Barjona out of the car. The boy was found in the car bloodied, having defecated and urinated on himself from the sexual assaults and awful. near the point of death. This is so sad. Yeah, so of course you would, you know, assume that he would be getting locked up right like attempted murder yeah attempted murder sexual assault abduction yep child molestation nope he was arrested but he got a sentence of a year's probation how does that even happen i have no idea what the laws in massachusetts were like during that time he almost killed a child and gets Mm -hmm. probation abducted the child almost killed the child and raped the child yeah and this a is year not his first offense. No, but oh, I mean, it's, I think, the first one that they had on the books or whatever. This is all bad. He's a monster. He's a monster. Ugh. Just wait. <laughs> oh, God. So a few days before his high school graduation, Barjona drove to nearby Hartford, Connecticut. 
and again impersonating a police officer, abducted a nine-year-old girl whom he savagely assaulted in the car. After the child began vomiting and convulsing from the assault, I know, he drove up to a sidewalk and threw the girl out of his car. What a gentleman. Gentleman. Luckily, a nearby witness uh, saw the incident and got Barjona's license plate leading to his arrest. Yeah, so at least there there have been some good witnesses so far. Yeah, at least people are, like, looking out, kind of. But because it was in Connecticut and his parole was in Massachusetts, and we know how good that different states communicate with each other. Jurisdictions and all that. So his probation officer never learned of this assault and arrest. And he was released from parole on May in May of 1976. Like, and to top it off, when his probationary period was over, he got a letter thanking him for his "quote unquote" cooperation. How does that even happen? First of all, Massachusetts and Connecticut are like teeny tiny, and they're all tucked up in that corner, like way up north. Yep. You'd Don't think you think that they would? They probably like, yeah, like police maybe meet at like at the same bar or something. I don't like, nope. what the fuck? Nothing. Not How did thing. this guy get so lucky? <laughs> That's the thing. Like, it, it's, it's like sheer luck because yeah, he's just not, he's committing horrible acts, not getting into any trouble, which kind of leads to later, he, he just, like, never admits to doing anything. He just says, like, oh, nope, I didn't do it. Because, like, if he's not getting caught doing it, he didn't do it. Oh, my God. Even if he is getting caught doing it, he didn't do it. It's not his fault. He didn't do it. No, of course not. Wow. On, yeah. On September 24th, 1977, Barjona, claiming to be an undercover FBI agent. Oh, my God. Convinced two boys coming out of the White City Cinemas in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts... To get into his vehicle. Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury. I imagine that it's like a like a little village where mice live and like they all like wear little clothes and you know have like (laughs) Shrewsbury pies. Yeah, and they like use little um, like little thimbles for chairs. Little thimbles for chairs. Yeah, no, for chairs. And then the the table is like the the, uh, spool of thread. Oh my god, that's so cute. Yeah, little Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury. <laughs> cute. Um, but not so cute because no. Barjona took the boys to a secluded area where he handcuffed them and proceeded to strangle and flick cigarette ashes onto them. Oh my god. So he just like he he likes to fuck with his prey. He likes He's just to the worst. Commit horrible things He's but a wait but just wait oh but just wait hmm. just wait there's more just wait there's more order now and we will throw in this fat fuck who will start jumping repeatedly on the chest of one of the boys oh my god at a whopping 375 pounds he is jumping up and down on a child's chest he is the worst. I know you said, I said the last one was the worst. This guy is the absolute worst. He is the devil. Like, what the hell? The devil. How could he even jump being that huge? Ugh. He's horrible. He's absolutely horrible. 
Um, and so naturally, he thought that he had killed the boy that he jumped up and down on, probably breaking some ribs. Well, yeah, for sure. So he... He was crushing yeah. him. Yeah. So he grabbed the other boy, who was still alive, and threw him in the trunk of his car, handcuffed. Somehow, though, the first boy who was crushed to almost death regained consciousness and managed to find some help. And luckily, he recognized Barjona as a cook at the local McDonald's. That is unbelievable. That kid (laughs) is amazing. Crazy, crazy strength. Yeah. And so so that was that led to Barjona's arrest because he was able to identify him. And luckily, the other boy was found still alive in his trunk. <sighs> so he saved himself and his friend. And his friend. Yeah. Oh, my God. What a little hero. Oh, God. I know. Luckily for this crime, he was convicted of attempted murder and received the maximum sentence of 18 to 20 years in prison. Well, finally. That's not enough time, though. It's not enough time. No. Not, not enough at all. Especially like attempted murder, abduction, and att- attempted murder children. of two children. And you like tortured them, and yes, yeah, no, it's like there was no you. Could, there's no way that you could talk that into like, oh, it was self defense, or it was like, you know, uh, I had to do it, or so you know, like there was it, it was an accident. Like no, you, no. you got on top of a child and jumped up and down. Well, plus, they're two, like, small yeah. children compared to this huge mm-hmm. person. So, um, while he was in prison, he was transferred to the Bridgewater State Hospital because uh, he was having a lot of issues at prison. I think they thought maybe he needed mental help, so they sent him to the hospital. And on... Well, if he was eating his scab. <laughs> Maybe some psychological assistance. Maybe. On March 22nd, 1984, he decided to change his name to Nathaniel Benjamin Levi Barjona from his boring old David Brown, David Paul Brown. So, um, (laughs) and, excuse me, he gave some reasons why he changed his name mostly he said that he wanted to know what it felt like to be discriminated against as a jew which is really weird like really really weird that that makes a lot of sense that's totally logical he wants to feel persecuted he also said that like he another time he claimed that he was jewish and just wanted his name to reflect it but i I don't know david is like a you know, old world names, like a Jewish name. Yeah, but brown? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I didn't really find anything that actually said he was Jewish of any, like, sort. So, I don't know. So he's just crazy. He... I mean, I shouldn't say crazy. It's not right to use the word crazy. He's just... um, Well, I think, like, and a lot of people think, too, that he did it because... He was known as David um, Brown as the creepy molesty dude. And so that maybe he wanted to distance himself from that. And so that, I don't know. He shouldn't have been allowed to change his name. (laughs) Yeah. 
And anyway, during this time in the hospital, Barjona confided to his psychiatrist that he fantasized about abducting, murdering, and cannibalizing children. Mm. One of his therapists noted that his sexual fantasies, bizarre in nature, outline methods of torture and extend to dissection and cannibalism. And he expressed a curiosity about the taste of human flesh. Just lock him up forever based on that. (laughs) This dude is ill. Yeah, you have a taste for human flesh. It's time to move on. Oh my god, I don't think there's any helping him. According to Barjona himself, it was his lord and savior who shepherded his release from the center in July 1991. He he said, I've seen God take a hopeless situation like when all avenues were closed, it seemed, and I'd never, ever be released. He never should have been released. Yet God told me I would, and I believed him, even though the evidence of my release was not there. Then, totally out of left field, I got two. Yes, two Christian psychiatrists who believed in me. That was a miracle in itself to find two Christians in that profession in Massachusetts. The state had a lot of evidence on their side, yet the judge sided with me. Okay, so many things (laughs) wrong. So many things. First of all, that's not God you're talking to. That's like some kind of demon. (laughs) Second of all, he's Jewish quote-unquote Jewish, Uh so why would Christian psychiatrists be... His preferred? Helpful. Unless they're just more easily easy to manipulate since they believe in, like, invisible... They want to see the good in everyone. I don't know. And he's saying, oh, God is helping me, and they're like, yes, God helps us all. Uh, Yeah, I mean, maybe he was able to appeal to the whole um, repent and you shall be saved thing, but... So that's the other thing. Like, but he still like didn't admit to anything. So I don't know how if that would work. All this ev- and if there's all this evidence against him, how is, oh, this is so wrong. This is all so wrong. I don't know. The psychiatrist recommended that he be put in a mental hospital and kept there. But the forever. Right. But the wonderful su- yeah. Superior Court Judge Walter E. Steele ruled that Massachusetts had failed to prove that Barjona was dangerous and he was released on probation as long as he moved okay. as long as he moved from Massachusetts to Great Falls, Montana to live with his mom. Right. Get the fuck out of here. Yep, we're done with you. <laughs> we can't help you. Just leave. So That's good, yeah, just move your move your troubled murderous child molester individuals to a different state. It's fine. Just move them around. Like the Catholic Church. Exactly what I was going to say. It's fine as long as it's not happening here in our jurisdiction. Just take it somewhere else. Then our numbers... We don't want to be responsible anymore. He's caused too much trouble here. And not to mention our numbers for like sexual assault and stuff aren't as high then if he's not here. <laughs> right. Oh my god. So on August 9th, 1991, just a month after being released from Bridgewater State Hospital... And before moving to Montana, Barjona observed a seven-year-old boy sitting alone in a car outside the post office in Oxford, Massachusetts. Barjona, who had slimmed down to a nice 275 pounds at that time, entered the vehicle and sat on the boy, thrusting his mass atop the boy's fragile chest. 
What is his deal? No, he just likes to squish children like bugs or something. It's weird. It's so fucking weird. Oh, that's terrifying. Uh-huh. Some witnesses, along with the, mo- the boy's mother, observed the event and ran to the boy's rescue, causing Barjona to flee. Good. An officer was able to recognize Barjona's description from over 15 years earlier when he was, and he was later arrested for the attack. So this guy from 15 years earlier had just a description and he could, he knew it was Barjona. So this dude stands out. Uh, yeah, he's really disgusting looking. But also like how many times have we sat in a car? Yeah. Waiting for mom to go into the post office or the grocery store really quickly or like yeah and this dude just comes in just opens the door and sits right on this kid tries to kill this poor child i can't like just sitting there waiting for your mom and then some huge gross dude opens your car door and just like sits on you well and this is still in massachusetts before he even left so way to go walter judge whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. like he's dumbass he's not you know He's not a threat because, because here's the thing, Angela, I don't know if you know this, but Barjona, he claimed that he got, that he entered the car only just to get out of the rain. Oh, (laughs) yes, of course. The horrible rain. You've got to jump into some random person's car. Right. And he just thought that this child was a lumpy seat and was just trying to get it, you know, unlumpy. So he was just bouncing up and down on this horrible lumpy well, yeah, seat. yeah, with all that rain coming down, how can you possibly see that there's someone in the car? Well, yeah, he had probably raindrops in his eyes. He was blinded. He sits down. When you open the door. Uh, opened <laughs> the door. He probably thought it was his car, obviously. Sits down. Right, obviously. Sits in the passenger seat. In the passenger seat and smashes, I mean, sits on a lumpy seat. Oh, my God. What an idiot. But he later admitted that he intended to kill the boy. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Uh, for the attack, Barjona was sentenced to probation in Montana. How? They really wanted him to leave the state. They were just like, get the fuck out. You'll do your probation in Montana. The file that they... Didn't they s- have locked him up, though? Like I don't under I don't know why they were... He, like, broke into someone else's car and tried to kill their child, and he gets probation? Yeah. he mu- Like I said, I don't know. He must be the luckiest, disgusting fuck ever. This is so insane. This is insane. <laughs> yeah, so so finally he arrives in Great Falls and Barjona quickly lined up employment, bouncing around from one fast food joint to another where he worked as a cook again. Now I was going to say, how does he get jobs? But <laughs> Yep, just working as a cook. Different times. Different I times. Guess. He supplemented his income and reportedly fed his fetish for young boys by selling toys at a flea market and from his garage. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad he was able to interact with children by selling them something they love. Yeah, which I'm not sure why I'm not sure why his probation didn't include not being around well, I'm children. Cuz this is well, this is the 90s, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know when yeah. the sex offender registry became a thing, but I just feel like if you're, like, intelligent at all, you would make it so that he can't work with children or interact with children at all. You would think. I don't know. Maybe he has really good lawyers. I have no idea. Yeah, what the fuck? What's more what the fuck is that his former fiance, yes, that's right, 
he somehow had a fiance, except that this is really the only like excerpt that said he had a fiance, so I don't know. But apparently he had a fiance in Montana who said that he would How do they all uh, How do they all find someone? I like, don't know. I mean low low standards. I I mean Pickens must be really slim in Montana. I don't know. It's a big wide open space, I think. <laughs> You just oh pass by God. another living person, and you're like, will you bury me? Uh, um, fiance, oh my God. But she said he would often spend hours in the garage, which she described as a paradise for children, with its Ew. scores of dolls and collectibles. Ew. All right, so on February 6, 1996, 10-year-old Zachary Ramsey left his apartment at around 7.30 a.m., Yeah, he was walking to Witter School at the time, taking his usual school route through an alleyway. Witnesses saw him walking down the alley. A family of three who lived in an apartment in the alleyway reported seeing Zachary there that morning and also seeing an off-white four-door car nearly run him over. Holy shit. Another witness who lived near the end of the alleyway reported seeing Zachary distressed with an obese adult male following him a few feet behind at about 745. Uh, That is creepy, creepy nightmares. That is so gross. A witness reported seeing Barjona standing beside a dumpster in the alleyway at 715 a.m. while taking out the trash. He was wearing a navy blue police-like jacket the, of course. Mm-hmm. The same witness also reported seeing Zachary enter the alleyway later and that Barjona was still standing beside the dumpster. Zachary never arrived at school. School officials contacted his mother when he failed to report for classes during the day. That's awful. Yeah. His mother filed a missing persons report later that afternoon and Zachary has never been heard from again. They never found him? No, not oh my God. not any bit. Um, police investigations conducted years after Zachary went missing determined that Barjona had access to his mother's off-white four-door 1978 Toyota Corolla the day the boy disappeared and that his mother and brother were out of town for a funeral. It was also determined that Barjona did not work on February 6th of 1996 nor on the days immediately preceding. He should not have been allowed anywhere to be alone. To be to alive, have toys. he should not be alone. Yeah, allowed well, to be alive. <laughs> no, definitely not. Or even like, ugh, this is the worst. This is the worst. Okay. Yeah. So uh, later on, in 1999. A couple boys accused him of sexual assault, so the police were able to search his apartment. And in the apartment, they found a list of names, which included previous victims, like previous known victims. And there was a Zachary Ramsey on the list. The name was spelled differently than his actual name, but he didn't seem to be that good at spelling anyway. Um, And following the list of boys' names was the word died police also found so was he yeah was he like stalking these kids or do you think he like asked what their names were before he killed them i don't know well some of them i think because there were like newspaper reports of them missing 
Um, but um, but some of them also, his previous victims were neighborhood people and like people that lived in his apartment complex. So he probably knew some of their names. This I, dude is so shitty. Yeah, <laughs> the worst. The worst. And it gets worser. Mm. Police also found a meat grinder with hair inside. No. no. And and numerous displayed newspaper clippings on Zachary's disappearance. Oh no. It was believed that he kidnapped and murdered the child and then cut up his body for stews and hamburgers <gasps> and then served him to unsuspecting neighbors at cookouts. No. Neighbors of Barjona recall him bringing them spaghetti, stew meat, chili, oh and a pot pie. I really do think I might vomit. This is horrible. All containing a strange-tasting meat. Oh, my God. Uh, he told them that it was venison. And Debbie Coates, a woman Barjona had met in 1996, said that he told her he had killed, butchered, and wrapped the meat himself. Yeah, for sure they would have known what venison tasted like, though. Probably. However... Oh, my God. Barjona, of course, did not own a rifle or a hunting license, nor had he ever been deer hunting at any time. Of course not. Why would he? A roommate... You can't trust anyone. You can't trust... Like, never go to a neighborhood barbecue. You can't go anywhere. You Like, only... Eat what you've killed and cooked yeah, yourself. Yeah, do not eat anything pre-made, <laughs> ever. It's disgusting. You don't know what you're getting. Or become vegetarian. This is one of the perks of being a vegetarian. That's true, I, I guess. I won't ever accidentally eat can't really a neighbor or a child. disguise a neighbor as tofu. It's a little harder. <sighs> oh, I don't like tofu either. <laughs> or as lettuce. <laughs> or as a vegetable. <laughs> oh. Oh. This is so... This is, this is what nightmares are made of. Mm-hmm. This is boogeyman it's number just like two. so bad so a former roommate of his described finding clothes roommate yep yep somehow he lived with how people. is he living with people and well it doesn't say what the roommate what was like anyway it could have been just oh as wonderful but he says like how that, do you get away with this stuff uh apparently it's not that hard <laughs> well not in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, because the roommate said that he even saw clothes in the apartment that appeared to match what what Zachary was wearing the day he disappeared. So the dude's totally careless and doesn't get caught. Right, because he also left bloody gloves with the clothes. And the roommate was just like, oh, I guess that's just... None of my business. Regular things, just regular things. Bits. I'm not gonna. Yeah. Typical Nathan. Oh, Nathy, what a silly. Always so slobby. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Another roommate and others claim that Barjona sometimes spontaneously brought up the boy in conversations. Yeah, because he's a psychopath. Yeah. Investigators also found notebooks with seemingly arbitrary characters, which were, were believed to be coded writing. With the help of the FBI and months of effort, the writing was decoded. In the notebooks, Barjona described torturing and eating children. The, oh there were also macabre recipes involving, chil no. involving children's body parts with titles like Barbecued Kid, My Little Kid Dessert, 
Little Boy Stew, Little Boy Pot Pies, and Lunch is Served on the Patio with Roasted Child. How does someone like this even exist? This is so beyond the scary anything thing is that, that humans should be capable of. The scary thing is that I'm sure he's not the only one. I'm sure there are other people out there that are like this. This is so... Like, it's unbelievable. Uh-huh, it sounds like it's all made up. Oh, my God. They found lists and lists and lists of just of children's names. And they also found three, uh, 35,000 pictures... Sorry, 3,500 pictures of children in notebooks that were... And, um, blah, 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 blah. One of the detectives said that he had notebooks where there's pictures of children cut out of annual school books and newspapers with their names oh underneath. My God. Just like collecting baseball cards. Po- oh my police also found stun guns, batons, police badges, police patches, and a realistic toy revolver. This guy sucks so much. When detectives sprayed Barjona's garage with a phosphorus chemical while investigating his involvement in Zachary's disappearance, the word Tita appeared, which led authorities to believe that Barjona may have been responsible for the abduction of James Teta, um, who was a Massachusetts boy that was kidnapped in 1973. Um, So, again, a misspelling. He spelled it T-I-T-A, and the boy's last name was T-E-T-A. So, I think... Well, yeah, and then how many other abductions, murders is he responsible for oh yeah a lot of i mean a lot of places that he had traveled to have done investigations on seeing you know lining up missing children with his time of being there he should not have been allowed to travel there's a lot of um uh, there's a lot of cold cases or like cases that are still open because they don't have enough evidence against him to charge him but but they're suspected that they suspect that he did it yeah i'm sure it's pretty likely yeah. And because um, he was like never caught for anything, so he was going around for years just doing whatever the hell he wanted. Yeah. Because conducting whatever kids he wanted. Yeah. No one's catching him. He feels like he can just do it. Investigators also found a total of thirteen bones buried in different parts of the garage. Oh. And the bones were tested and I don't know that they, they, they didn't match the DNA to anyone that they knew of any suspected um, missing children, but they were able to tell that the bones were from someone between the ages of eight and 15. Oh my God, that's so sad. Yeah. (sighs) This delightful fat fuck told the mother of 10 year old Zachary Ramsey that he had hunted, killed, butchered and wrapped the meat of her child. (gasps) That is horrible and yeah police so this was like before poor like woman. right before they arrested him to um search his and right before they arrested him and were able to search his place how they found him was he was dressed in navy nylon jacket circling an elementary school oh again like his police uniform mm-hmm. carrying a stun gun a toy pistol a fake police badge and pepper spray that is terrifying around an elementary school 
Yeah, he told police that he was carrying the stun gun and pepper spray for his protection because he was scared to against walk. children. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say against children, but he, you know, for going on walks just in case he was being mugged or something. But yeah, against children. Yeah, around a an elementary school, that's where like a lot of mugging happens. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, this piece of shit. So Barjona was charged with Zachary's abduction and murder and for sexually assaulting three other boys who lived in an apartment above him. So, I mean, I guess they have, like, eyewitness accounts, Uh but they never found his body. No. Oh, and they have his admission to the mom, so maybe that was enough. Yeah, but they didn't, so it was all circumstantial because they didn't have any, like, they just had the name that he wrote in the garage and some circumstantial evidence but nothing right yeah they didn't have his body and um authorities think that he they weren't going to be able to recover any kind of body because they suspected him of cannibalism right um the shitty thing though is that the charges involving zachary were eventually dropped after the mother said she didn't believe that he had killed her son because she was under the impression her son was still alive. Oh, my God. Yeah, she had been talking to psychics and people like that that told her her son was still out there, so she said she didn't want someone to get charged for her son's murder if she didn't believe that her son was actually dead. That is horrible. Even though he's never been heard from again. Yeah. But her, like, she just hopes... Oh my god, that's so tragic. She just yeah, wants because, him to be alive so much. Well, I guess there was an incident like a year before he before Zachary disappeared where he did run away, but it said that he ran away and was gone for like an hour and then called his mom to come pick him up because he was scared. So Right. I mean how many times have I like run away packed your suitcase, suitcase of stuffed animals, stuffed animals <laughs> and walk down the street <laughs> to the end of the driveway and you're only like, to like keep looking back and be like why are they following me i remember one time you were you were like we're yelling at me to call a cab you <laughs> 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 we were like i don't care i'm running away call a taxi for me <laughs> oh that was pretty dramatic that was, that was you know that was before cell phones so we had to someone had to go in the house to call you a cab you well you have you, to look it up in the yellow you, pages you couldn't admit going back into the house that you were running away so i had to look in the yellow pages covertly but, but find I, a cab <laughs> for my like four-year-old sister yep yeah why didn't you do it yep yeah <laughs> 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 Damn. Oh. but luckily for the three sexual assault charges he was sentenced to 130 years in prison well finally yeah so one of the boys came forward to tell the police that bar jonah had lured him in lured him and two other boys into his home and once there he hung the boy from a lighting fixture and masturbated as the boy lost consciousness according to him and to one of the roommates that Barjona had oh my god who claims to have seen the whole incident but just kept it to himself no Barjona allegedly wrapped a rope around the boy's neck and then used a pulley in the ceiling to hang the child until he passed out which I'm saying, if this guy has a pulley in his system and it was like totally normal for the roommate to see that, how many kids has he done that to? What the fuck is wrong with all of these people? Hey, bro, maybe uh, you shouldn't be strangling children. Well, and why is the roommate not being like, hey, man, maybe you shouldn't do that and like 
Get the kid down. Not to mention this guy is watching his roommate masturbate. What is wrong with these people? And a child hang. What the fuck is wrong with these people indeed? Yeah, how are you not helping the kid? How are you not calling the cops? Like, have some responsibility. Like, what? Have some humanity. What the fuck? <sighs> Zachary's case result remains unsolved to this day. I mean, but we know who did like it, but solved. there's not yeah. enough evidence. That is horrible. Um, in dis- And those psychics just feeding off of that mother's hope. Like, disgusting. That's disgusting. Mm-hmm. In December 2004, Mon... Also, I don't think they're real psychics. No, definitely not. <laughs> the Montana Supreme Court turned down Bar Jonah's appeals and upheld, Good. upheld the conviction. Good, because fuck that guy. Yeah. Blah. Um, Dr. Stone, a forensic psychiatrist, interviewed him after his conviction and said that his story was very inconsistent and Barjona denied everything. He said he was totally innocent of all the crimes he was charged with and anything that anyone's ever said he's done, he's innocent, completely innocent of, just like a bad case of um, coincidence and and... And victims pointing out the wrong person and police driving up on the wrong person in the midst of an assault. Yep, yep. He, he wasn't doing wow, anything. Just so unlucky just that he... Bad luck, yeah, bad luck. That's all. Um, could blend in and not be known by uh, a description from 15 years earlier. Like, I don't think that they're mistaking you for someone else. <sighs> nope. Not with that description, especially uh, 15 years later. They're like, oh, that guy. I know exactly who you're talking about. So great. But luckily and unluckily, he died of a blood clot in Montana prison in April 2008 at the age of 51. Would have been nice. That was too if good he, for Yeah, it would have been nice if he could have suffered. Yes. Because we know how the child predators suffer in prison. So it would have been nice if he could have been shanked a few times, maybe. Something, I don't know, beat up, I don't know. He should have been subjected to the same torture that the poor kids Yeah, should have had someone through. bigger than him stomp on his chest. So, yeah, we, we need to do the tossed salads and scrambled eggs. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. The tossed salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the tossed salad has more components, the person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind, they're all kinds of mixed up, there's no focus, they're disorganized. What say you? Toss salad or scrambled egg for this? Toss salad. Nathaniel Even though he Barjona. won't admit to doing wrong, he for sure knows that that's fucked up behavior. Yeah. And it's so calculated. It's calculated to the way that he was able to like persuade children to come with him. and Yes. And Pretending to be a police officer. Yeah, exactly. So garage, he, thought, like... uh, he thought ahead of how am I going to get them? Oh, children trust police officers. I'll dress as a policeman and then and then be able to do what I want. So it was all pretty well thought out in his mind, I think. Awful. Definitely. I mean, he wrote in code. He wrote in code. Well, so he that, could 
Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, he wrote in code, so that just shows, like, some sort of intelligence beyond, like, psychopathy. Well, and he changed his name, and clearly, like, he had a fiancé, so he could pass off as, like, kind of normal. Somehow, yeah. Or I don't want to use the word normal. No, Um, just, like, not a murderer, not a child (laughs) smasher. Not a horribly, like, sick, disgusting, despicable piece of shit human. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I wanted to say, like, going off that code thing, this is kind of morbid, but it really reminded me of that episode of The Twilight Zone Mm -hmm. where the aliens came to Earth and, like, gifted them this book and gave them, like, all these, like, wonderful things. And they're, like, trying to decode this book. And they, like, chose humans to go to their, like, planet. And they thought the book said something about, like, having a dinner party with humans or something uh-huh. but then the, at the end they decoded it as they're like getting on the plane to go to this other planet and it's like a cookbook oh of like four humans like a cooking hum- it was like oh my god it's so good yeah yeah spoiler alert found a recipe for children it's disgusting this guy is absolutely the worst i don't yeah he's the worst <laughs> there are some shitty people but this guy takes the cake <sighs> god and how he was just able to just get away with it for so long, just do as he pleased. So in his mind, and whenever he got in trouble, he got like the smallest little punishment. It was like, can you just stop molesting the neighborhood children? Thanks. You can go on yeah, your like, way you now. You can still live at home. You can still be free. You just have to come talk to me like once a week, and I can just make sure that you know that what you tell me is that you're not hurting anyone, and I'll believe you. Mm-hmm. And then we'll write you a thank you note at the end of it. Like, this isn't a garden party. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Ugh, God. And the fact that he was, like, having cookouts and cooking for neighbors, so obviously, like, he had some kind of relationship with the neighbors where it was like, oh, this guy come, you know, like, how often do you hear about someone cooking for a neighbor? Like, never. So they must have had some kind of connection. Like, maybe it was a neighborhood where they had a lot of potlucks or something. I don't know. But he was invited to these things, and people, like, graciously took his, like, pot pies that he made for them. And they ate it, when I feel like if someone gave me something that was, like, a super creep, I'd be like, oh, thanks, I'm not gonna eat that. (laughs) Maybe they were just trying to talk themselves out of it, like, yeah, he seems creepy, but he's so kind, like, he brings us, like food and stuff and we maybe maybe we maybe we misjudged him like maybe he's a real nice guy yeah because the rest of the people probably were nice people who are like trying to find the good in everyone Mm -hmm. and this dude just takes advantage okay well i think that was the worst story ever well good i'm glad that i could tell you the worst story ever but hopefully i'll find nightmares (laughs) hopefully i can find worse for next week i really don't think you can top that one that is just like It's the worst. It's absolutely the worst. Okay, so my tragic story for the day is the kidnapping of Stephen Stainer. So my sources are an ABC News article, Wikipedia, of course, and then an article in the East Bay Express. So... This story takes place to Merced. Let's go back to Merced in 1972, which is a city in California, in case you don't know. At the time, it's a secluded farming town. One might even call it rural. Rural. You can say rural. <laughs> <laughs> rural, rural. 
Uh, it was surrounded by almond groves and peach orchards, and they called it the gateway to Yosemite. Pretty lovely little town. That's, that's, Although, that's I nice didn't realize... to call it the gateway of Yosemite. That makes it sound more special than it is. Right? It's cute. <laughs> also, I didn't realize that almonds were, like, such a big deal in Merced, but it makes sense why our aunt would have had an almond tree in her front yard where... I got hives from climbing it. Right. But anyway, not it's not about me. <laughs> this is <laughs> This is all this about is a, how I got hives at my aunt's house where Which Carrie's, is tragic. <laughs> where the stainer boy was kidnapped. But not as tragic as the story I'm about to tell. <laughs> so, Merced, early seventies. Um there was a family, the Stainer family, which was made up of two boys, three girls, and their parents, Kay and Delbert. Delbert. Which is a, yeah, it's a pretty unique name, I think. Mm-hmm. Stephen was the third child. He had an older sister and an older brother, and then two younger sisters after him. So the family was a pretty big family. They were a loving family, and Stephen loved his father a lot, and it was said that he'd follow him around, and he just really looked up to his dad. And the family were also kind of strict disciplinarians, is what it said. Hmm. A few articles said that. Um, But they were loving. And on December 4th, 1972, the seven-year-old... No, (laughs) that doesn't make sense. Okay, Stephen was seven (laughs) years old, and he was walking home from school on Highway 140. He was alone, and that's what he always did. He'd always walk home alone by himself. Which I don't understand why the other kids didn't walk, like why they didn't all walk together. Yeah, if there's five of them, were they going to different schools? But maybe, did it say like what the what the birth order was? Yeah, he was the third. Oh, so kid. it's not like he was the youngest, so they were all in high school or something. Right. That is really weird. So yeah, I don't know if he went to a different school or like his class got out earlier than everyone else. Yeah, I don't know. But apparently he'd always walk home alone. Hmm. He he recently was spanked by his parents because he walked to a friend's house instead of going home. And I guess people knew about it. Even, like, the mailman had heard about it. He, I think he, like, told the mailman or something that his parents were, like, upset with him hmm. because he walked to a friend's house or something. Somehow, like, it was something that he had, like, talked about um, because he was being watched and someone overheard that he said that he had recently been spanked by his parents. So mm-hmm. one day he was approached by two men in a car and they had been watching him and observing and like overhearing his conversations. The men were Irvin Murphy and Kenneth Parnell. Irvin was described by those who knew him as a trusting, naive, and simple-minded person. And he and Kenneth Parnell worked together at the Yosemite Lodge, a resort in Yosemite National Park, which was about two hours away from the Stainer home. Which, like, super beautiful yeah. place to work. Um, Parnell told Murphy that he was an aspiring minister, when really he was a convicted child rapist. I mean, you know, which, convicted child rapist. Same, though, right? It's not, you know, that's not, yeah, it doesn't exclude the other like he could have been a child rapist who is also who also has high dreams of being a pedophile i mean priest i mean 
really <laughs> yeah nowadays it's like oh yeah no, that, they go hand in hand yeah. they go hand in hand exactly so not too weird not not that big of a jump yeah not at all he would have way more access to children and trusting parents oh definitely i just don't think that he was going that route in real life <laughs> he was doing it for the perks he, he also told Murphy that he wanted to abduct a young boy so that he could raise him in a religious household. Ah. Uh, so start off with an abduction and then turn it into a religious good thing. Yeah, I mean, it's okay because he's going to raise him by God's standards. He's going to so raise him right. Raise him with the in Lord. In a God-fearing home. <laughs> so Parnell got Murphy to go along with his devious plan uh so we sent murphy out to pass out gospel tracks to boys walking home from school gospel tracks yeah i'm thinking it's you know like tapes with like gospel music Uh uh-huh and thinking that's what he's passing out and murphy claimed there's nothing more a young boy wants than some gospel tracks (laughs) well maybe you got your walkman and then or wait what year is this this is like oh the 70s. 70s Oh, like an A-track, maybe? Yeah. Did they have portable A-track Or just like, players? he's like, just carrying around records? Yeah, big old records. <laughs> hey, like, yeah, hey, you so want something get... to play on that record player? <laughs> that portable Check record player out. you got? <laughs> <laughs> Put that in your backpack. Make yeah. sure you don't tip it. Try yeah. not to scratch those records. <laughs> I love records, but they are not the most functional way to listen to music. No. They're very temperamental. Now I'm just picturing this guy with, like, stacks of records running up to all the kids he sees. Like, you gotta listen to this great music, kids! <laughs> yeah, maybe. Come to Jesus. Uh, so, okay, so he was passing out tracks, and then Murphy, the guy who was passing out the tracks, he claimed to be a church representative seeking donations. But, like, from children? It's like, do you have lunch money to don't? I don't know. It was just not a good plan. Anyway. You got to start them young, you know? You got to put it in them young. That, oh, nope. Didn't, didn't mean to say that. Uh, oh, my God. Damn it. <laughs> got to make them. You got to start them at a young age to pay their, what is that called? Tithing? Tithings? A tithe. A tithing yeah. to the church. So yeah. they know it's a normal, regular yeah, thing. Yeah, good good cover that was good you <laughs> slipped really right out of that, that slope. one <laughs> oh okay so he he asked steven if his mother would be willing to donate any items to the church and steven being like a really sweet kid he said yeah and murphy asked him where he lived and if he would take him to his house so this like little innocent seven-year-old who thought he was doing a really good thing he says okay and then parnell who had been driving around drives by in his white buick and stephen and murphy got in kenneth parnell stops the car goes to a payphone, and when he comes back he tells stephen your parents i just spoke to them they no longer want you what so they didn't go to Stephen's home, obviously. Instead, Parnell drives them to his cabin in Kathy's Valley, which is 22 miles outside of Merced. When Stephen didn't make it home from school, his parents sounded the alarm, and Merced was the lead police department, so they they mounted a really large effort to search for him, and there was just nothing. They just found nothing. 
fuck. So this do, is. Do you oh, think ahead. that, or I mean, I don't know if you know this, but did he give the guys his phone number, or they were just like, "I'm gonna go make, call your parents" because kids believe that. No, obviously he didn't everything. call his parents. No, I know that he didn't, his... but I, no, oh. no, I no, I want. I was wondering if like. <gasps> If, like, to make it believable that right, that right. Stephen gave his phone number and the guy was like, all right, like, I'm going to go make a phone call or whatever. Or if he was just like, oh, I just, like, I just talked to your parents because I'm well, an adult and I know other adults and they don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure he did give them his address because they, like, they were like, oh, where do you live? So maybe he could have called information and been like, mm. you know, like, I'm sure to a seven-year-old, like you were saying, yeah. I'm sure that it made yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay. So this part, this is like, this is really sad. Parnell's cabin was located only several hundred feet from Stephen's grandfather's house. Oh my God. What? So his grandfather lived feet away from where this kid was held captive. Huh. I wonder if they had seen him before. Well, they were watching him in Merced. They had been watching him for like a few days. I don't know... I think that since Merced was just kind of close to Yosemite and they'd like maybe drive through on their way to work and they noticed like, you know, kids walking home from school by themselves and they just spotted him. He was a really cute, he was super cute little kid. Uh, There's like this little picture of him and his hair like looks like a little helmet. (laughs) It's like, oh, it's so sad. So, I know we're just making light of this really awful, awful thing. So, Parnell molested Stephen the first night, and then 13 days later is when he started raping him. When Stephen kept asking to go home in the first week, Parnell told him that he had been granted legal custody because his parents couldn't afford so many children and that they didn't want him anymore. Like, what a dick. Holy shit. Yeah. It's like every kid's worst nightmare is just... He kept him for that long, like, so far? Oh my god, I can't even believe that... He's still alive and... Oh, oh just God. wait. It's okay. going to get... Yeah, it's, it's bad. So, uh, okay. Parnell also called Stephen Dennis Gregory Parnell, which Gregory was his real middle name. He just mm. changed his first name and last name. He kept his birthday the same and he enrolled him in school. Over the next several years, Stephen was enrolled in various schools where he actually did really well and they moved all over Northern California. They spent time in Mendocino County, Santa Rosa, and just all over. Parnell passed himself off as Stephen's father and allowed him to drink at a young age and to come and go as he pleased. So I think I think that he started smoking what? and drinking when he was like 14 years old. Oh. Or maybe oh. young, actually younger. I think younger than that. Hold on. I think I just blacked out for a second. Oh, yeah. So... He's kidnapped at seven years old. Yes. And then seven years later, he's still living there doing, like, just coming and going as he pleases. He thinks, like, he's part of the family there. Like, he's just become... Well, when you think your parents don't want you anymore, and... Oh, my God. You were seven, so you don't really know, like, where you're from, and he keeps moving you around a lot. Okay, they're not living next door to his grandpa. No, they moved around California. Okay. Yeah, like all around, like Mendocino County, all over Mendocino, all over like Santa Rosa, just everywhere. Holy shit. So Parnell had a bunch of odd jobs and did some menial labor 
for work. Sometimes his jobs required him to travel, so Stephen would be left home alone. But because he didn't know how to ask for help or he didn't know that his parents were still looking for him, he didn't he didn't ever try to escape. Because when you're that little and you're kidnapped and this is your new reality, and you're what are you going to do? And you're it with the abuse yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and you have no – you really don't have anyone to help you Fuck. or don't know how to ask for help. So he just lived with him for years. One of the highlights, like the only good thing in Stephen's kidnapping was he had a dog that Parnell had got him as a gift. It was a Manchester Terrier named Queenie. And Parnell got the dog from his mother, who had no idea that he had kidnapped a kid and the kid was living with him. She just never went to his house? I'm guessing not. What the fuck? Okay. I don't know. When Stephen was nine, a woman named Barbara Mathis lived with him and Parnell. And this lovely woman raped Stephen with Parnell nine different times. What? Yeah. And in 1975, Parnell got got Barbara to try to lure another boy into Parnell's car. This boy was in the Santa Rosa Boys Club with Steven. So it was a little kid that Steven knew, and they were in this boys club together, and Parnell tried to get his lovely girlfriend to lure him in so they could kidnap him too. But it didn't work. And Barbara said that she didn't know that the boy she knew as Dennis was kidnapped. Which, of course, makes her part in all this so much better. Yeah, okay, so, like, you didn't know he was kidnapped, but you still raped Raped a nine-year-old? And tried to catch more children to rape. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. (laughs) So, she's a real piece of work. Uh, Oh, God, okay. How do these people find each other? How? I don't know. They're just... All horrible monsters. And this is before, like, internet forums and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I heard... I don't know what I was, like, watching, but pedophiles used to mail each other pictures. So I don't know how they found each other. Yeah, how do you find someone to mail it to? I don't know. But they mail them around, like, trading cards. Gross. Disgusting. They They find a way. They find a way. Shitty. Yeah. So as Stephen got older, of course, Parnell started to lose interest and he started to look for younger boys to kidnap. He would often try to get Stephen to help him lure kids, but it didn't work because Stephen was intentionally ruining the attempts because he didn't want any other kids to be in the situation that he was in. So then it made Parnell... It's interesting that he he knows that it's wrong. He knows that enough to want to save other children from his fate and yet he doesn't have the wherewithal to ask for help and i know i'm not i'm not blaming him it's just crazy that like our brains can do that you know like well that it's more important to protect other kids than to like protect yourself yeah where you can compartmentalize and be like okay i don't want this to happen to someone else but whatever happens to me is different like i don't Right. I'm not, well, and you I'm find not that, worthy of being a, a person or something. I don't know. It's sad. Well, I think part of it is that, yeah, it happened when he was so young and he really didn't know. 
Yeah. Like what to say or who to reach out to. And maybe he did think that his parents didn't want him anymore. Because right. I read that he was like, he'd like periodically watch the news or like look into newspapers to see if anyone was looking for him. And I don't know that he ever, because they were all, I mean, they weren't in Merced anymore. So maybe in Merced there was stuff going on, but. And like local news. Yeah, yeah. But he, I don't know that he ever saw anything. So maybe he did feel like, oh, my parents don't want me anymore. But I don't want any other kid to end up in this situation. Right. Okay. And then the other thing is, like, in a lot of abusive households, like, one child will be the one who gets all the abuse. And they won't do anything until they need to, like, protect another, like, one of their siblings. Like, Mm -hmm. if they're being abused by their dad and then their dad, like, starts to move on to another sibling, then they'll do what they can to protect that other sibling. Because it's like, well... Maybe I deserve it, but they don't. When obviously no one deserves it, but it's that, like, people want to protect other people. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's really sad. So, yeah, so then Parnell is like, oh, you're not a good accomplice, obviously, because it's not working. So, Stephen, good for him for, like, looking out for the other kids. On February 14th, 1980... Parnell got a teenage friend of Stephen to help him kidnap a five-year-old boy <gasps> named Timothy White in Ukiah. What is going on, Ukiah? Like, holy shit. <laughs> but, like, how did he convince this friend? I don't know. It's like, oh. I was going to say that's the weirdest part, but <laughs> it's not the weirdest no. part. It's a strange no. component that he was able to convince someone else that this was a good idea well he convinced the first dude murphy then yeah. he convinced his girlfriend or whatever barbara right and then he tried to convince steven who was like oh hell no and then he convinced one of his friends like this dude's either really persuasive or these guys are all like well, i'm wondering if he gross. was like offering them something it had to, yeah i don't know Well, the first guy you said was like kind of dim-witted so yeah maybe super manipulated he just, easily yeah, manipulated. was able to manipulate him and then right the other one was the girlfriend who seemed equally as fucked up as him. Super evil. And then this other guy's a kid, so. Right, he could have offered him. Yeah, More he could have offered him whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so, so they like they caught, captured Timothy, and they like brought him home. And Stephen saw how upset he was, and he was crying and asking to go home, and. Just, like, seeing how distressed this little little five-year-old was, Stephen decided to take him back home Good. to his parents. So on March 1st, 1980, Parnell went on his to his nightly security job. And Stephen, who was 14 years old at the time, and Timothy hitchhiked to Ukiah. I read that he put Timothy on his back, and they, like, hitchhiked together to Ukiah. And he tried to find his home. But when they couldn't find it, then Stephen told Timothy to walk into a police station and ask for help without him. Mm. So he was going to, like, set this kid free and not even try to, to become free himself. himself. Yeah, just yeah. keep going. What the fuck? So he, like, took him to a police station and just, like, set him down. And was like, okay, go. Tell them, like, who you are. But the police saw both of them and detained them both because they were like, oh, this kid's missing. We've been looking for him. His mm. parents, like, obviously reported it, and they've been looking for him. And then this, like, teenager shows up with him, so they obviously thought Stephen yeah, was involved. Him. Mm-hmm. Right. So they, they, like, detained him, and they interrogated him. And at first, Stephen, I don't think he, like, told them who he was at first. Mm-hmm. But he did tell them who Timothy was. 
And then eventually he told them his name and his story. And at the station he wrote, my name is Steven Stainer. I'm 14 years of age. I don't know my true birth date, but I use April 18th, 1965. I know my first name is Steven. I'm pretty sure my last name is Stainer and I have a middle name. I don't know it. And he spelled Stainer. So Stainer is spelled S-T-A-Y-N-E-R and mm-hmm. he spelled it S-T-A-I-N-E-R. Because he was seven when he was kidnapped. He, like, just learned how to write his name and... Yeah. Wow. It's so sad. And he doesn't, like, he didn't know anything about himself except for he remembered his name was Steven Stainer. And knew how old he was. That's fucked up. Yeah, it's really... That's just awful. So on March 2nd, at like the crack of dawn, Parnell was arrested and both boys were reunited with their families. In 1981, Parnell was tried in Hayward as an attempt to find an impartial jury and he was convicted of kidnapping the two boys in two separate trials. And he was sentenced to, do you want to guess how long? (laughs) Oh God, it's never enough. It's never enough. And this is in the 70s or 80s? Oh, uh, five years. Oh, my God. So he was sentenced to seven years and was paroled after serving five. Whoa. For kidnapping. That's just nuts. And for keeping him for... For seven years. Seven years. Yes. And he would have kept him for longer except for Stephen escaped. (laughs) <laughs> but he didn't even escape. He was just helping another boy escape. I know. He would have been there longer if they hadn't got he that other little boy. If the police hadn't been like, oh, no, you're not getting away with, like, kidnapping. Come in here. Oh, shit. You were kidnapped. Like, well, whoops. If the fucking dickwad didn't have an appetite for another young one, like, if he didn't go out, you know, if he didn't bring that kid back and then he didn't, Stephen didn't feel like sympathy or empathy towards him and help to get him free. Right. He would have gotten away with it. Yeah. So, yeah, so he got less time than Stephen got, basically. Stephen got seven years in captivity and of torture, and he got five years. Ugh. So, so here's, here's why, here's partially why his sentence was so short. Parnell was not charged with sexual assault. What? Partially because, well, no, partially because most of the, most of the assaults occurred outside of the jurisdiction of Merced County or the statute of limitations was up, which why do we have statutes of limitations on anything? I don't know. It's just (sighs) bullshit. And the other reason this is like, this is so disturbing. The other reason why they didn't charge him with sexual assault is because the prosecutors, they, they thought like back in the day, they thought that they were protecting people if they didn't charge their abusers with sexual assault because sexual assault survivors were seen as damaged goods. Oh my god. So they thought that they were like protecting him and his like reputation basically by not talking about it. Uh, 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 Was that a disgusted burp? He, uh, I just uh... I have no words. I just don't understand. No, it's so bad. I guess this was happening, like, pretty often. The whole damaged goods thing. Like, what the fuck? That was, like, a quote. 
So they also thought they were protecting Stephen's parents from having to talk about Stephen's assault because of the stigma around male sexual abuse. Which is bullshit. Let's just ignore it. Pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, just pretend like it's Because it makes people uncomfortable talking about... Yeah, this poor kid had to endure it, but we're not going to talk about it. And we're not going to charge his abuser with it. Uh, If it's so fucked up that you shouldn't talk about it because people are going to have sensitive ears, maybe it needs to be talked about the most. Yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe it should be talked about. So done. We're living in different times, hopefully. I don't know. It's still bad. Survivors are still silenced all the time and not believed and all of that. But at least people are being charged with these crimes and it's not just swept under the rug because they might be seen as damaged goods. Ugh, it's just so gross. So, so he got... He served five years. And Murphy... Irvin Murphy, the guy who helped mm-hmm. kidnap Stephen, he got a five-year sentence and was paroled after two years. And the teen who helped kidnap Timothy got a term in juvenile in a juvenile work camp. So I don't know what a term means, but I'm guessing it's not that much time. Mm-hmm. And then both claimed they had no idea that Stephen had been sexually assaulted numerous mm-hmm. times. <laughs> and Stephen said that the man who helped kidnap him who he referred to as Uncle Murphy, was kind to him in the first few weeks of his captivity and was also under Parnell's manipulation. So maybe he really did think that Parnell was like a minister in training and was actually good to him. I don't know, but... And was actually going to kidnap a boy to raise him right? (laughs) Right, but still, why would you go along with a kidnapping? Yeah, it just boggles my mind, but I, I don't know if what his mental capacity was to think right. that that was a an okay acceptable thing to do well and maybe part of it could be that like you know maybe they're friends so it's like oh well if he's my friend i've got to trust that he would only do good and i don't know i don't know i can't think like that Mm-mm. okay so let's talk about kenneth parnell this lovely creature Parnell was born in Texas during the Dust Bowl, Great Depression era. His mother was a fundamentalist and his father was an alcoholic. Great combination. (laughs) Sound like a bunch of lovely people. Sounds like a lot of spankings, a lot of uh, Abuse, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So his father abandoned the family when um, Parnell was six. And then his mother moved to Bakersfield and took the kids with her. He spent a lot of his youth going in and out of juvie and mental institutions. Mm. So, good start. He was apparently very disturbed from an early age and tried to pull out all of his teeth with pliers when he was a little kid. What? 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 Oh, my God. So, disturbed seems like an understatement. (laughs) In the world... He he denied it in his adulthood that he ever did that, but I'm pretty sure it's on some kind of record. Mm-hmm. He was diagnosed by more than one psychologist as needing a lot of help. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you're a little, little child's trying to pull out all their teeth, yeah. And then he said that he was never molested himself. Mm-hmm. When he was 19, he was arrested for raping a young boy and impersonating a police officer... He claims that he abducted the boy and he raped him because, get this, 
his wife was pregnant. So she was too big and he needed to find another outlet. And that is a direct quote. Oh, well, that's understandable then. If he had just said that in the first place, I mean, obviously. Another outlet? Like, what a sick fuck. Uh, uh, Yeah, okay. I don't know. I don't know if he was actually married. I couldn't find anything that said that he had kids of his own or was, like, married or anything. So I don't don't know if that was true. But Mm. when he was 19, so he got... Four years in prison and served three and a half for raping a child. Well, you know, he had nowhere else to go. What was he to do? His wife was pregnant. I mean, what could he do? (laughs) Wow. In the early 60s, he went back to prison for an armed robbery in Utah. Then in 1980... He was arrested and charged with Stephen and Timothy's kidnapping. So who knows what happens between the early 60s and 1980, but I'm sure Stephen wasn't the only victim of his, like, fucked upness. Hmm. And Timothy, too, of course. So in January of 2003, Parnell was arrested and after... Oh, wait. That doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he was arrested and served his, uh, what was it, five years? Mm Mm-hmm. So he was out in 1985, and then in January of 2003, he was arrested after trying to persuade his nurse to buy him a four-year-old boy for $500. Oh, oh, okay, okay. So (laughs) I'm just, like, imagining this negotiating going on. This conversation happening. This conversation where it's, like, (laughs) the nurse is coming to check the IV bag or whatever, or... What was the nurse even like for? A, well, okay, so he was 71 at the time, and he had diabetes, emphysema, and complications from a stroke, which left him kind of needing a home health care worker. So I don't know if he was, like, in an assisted living facility or or what, but he had, like, he had a nurse come in or a care worker okay, come in so, and, like, help him so do things. So they were, like, checking the, like, his, like, oxygen tanks and stuff and checking his blood work and diabetes and stuff helping around the house or whatever he needs yeah yeah and then he's like oh uh one more thing when you're out next time would you mind picking up some orange juice and a little child (laughs) here's five hundred dollars for the kid (laughs) i'd prefer if they're four years old if you could do that that'd be great uh so a four-year-old orange juice here's 500 you keep the change when you're done with that yeah like oh. what a sicko uh, uh, i'm and assuming that the nurse said something so he was living in berkeley at the time mm. he had lived in berkeley for 15 years oh. this is in 2003 that he was arrested so were uh. you in berkeley at the time no you weren't you were too young okay So the nurse, Diane Stevens, was aware of Parnell's past and reported the request to local police, like, immediately, obviously, because she's a good person and not, like, a horrible person. So together they set up a sting operation, and they caught him. What did they they catch him doing? Well, they put up the sting about him trying to buy a child. (laughs) So in 2005... So she goes back and she's like... 
with a little microphone. She's like, oh, what was that you were saying about? Uh, oh, let me just write down juice, what you want. Uh, what was that exactly? The number two? I couldn't remember. <laughs> oh, a child? Oh, a oh child. and how old were you looking for? Oh, four? Okay, and how much were we going to pay? Oh, okay, 500 <laughs> That sounds like the going rate for a child. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. So this is in 2003. This is, like, mind-boggling. Okay, so in 2004... He's 72 years old and he's convicted of attempting to purchase a child and attempted child molestation because obviously he wasn't buying a child for good purposes. <laughs> he just wanted to raise him to be a good Christian. Yeah. So at his trial for trying to buy a child, Timothy White, who was then a grown man, was subpoenaed to testify. And Stephen's testimony at Parnell's earlier trial was read to jurors as evidence since Parnell... I mean, since Stephen was dead at the time. What? Oh, yeah. I'll get into that. So. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. Maybe I should have restructured this. Okay, so Stephen couldn't testify at Parnell's trial in 2004. So his testimony at the original trial was read. And Timothy did testify. Parnell died of natural causes on January 21st, 2008 at the California Medical Facility in Vacaville, California, while serving a sentence of 25 years to life. He was also a third striker. Not long enough. No, and died of natural causes. That's too good Mm -hmm. for this piece of shit. Anyway. Mm -hmm. So this kidnapping, or the kidnapping of um, Stephen... And its aftermath prompted California lawmakers to change state laws to allow consecutive prison terms in similar abduction cases. Hmm. So instead of they're serving for both cases that time, like he gets five years. Yeah, concurrently, that's the word. Then, So then he may have been in there for like, I don't know, maybe 10 years? That's still not long enough. But anyway, so Stephen, back to Stephen... After his return home, he struggled to adjust. I mean, obviously. Mm -hmm. He had been allowed to smoke, drink, and do as he pleased when he was in captivity. But his parents, when he got home, they still saw him as a little seven-year-old. And since he was just 14 at the time, obviously they'd have, like, rules and want to protect him and keep him safe. Because he was kidnapped for, like, a major part of his childhood. Right. And this, this is, like, this part sucks. So he had a little part. Oh, I mean, this just like tops it off for this poor kid. So he had a little counseling, but his sister said that because their dad said he didn't need it, he never sought further help. Wow. Okay. What the fuck? Yeah. His dad was just like, no, you don't need counseling. You're fine. Also, he wasn't allowed to talk about what had happened to him with anyone. So no one in the family was allowed to talk about it, and he wasn't able to talk to any professionals either because he didn't need the counseling. Uh, uh, this poor, poor boy. Yeah, so he had no support. He couldn't process. I mean, who could process that anyway? But then he had no chance of processing it. Oh, my God. And he was so bullied in school because he was sexually assaulted that he had to drop out. He was bullied because of that? Yeah. Yeah, they bullied him. What the fuck is wrong with people? I don't know. So his, so he was back in Merced at this time because his parents still lived in Merced. So what the fuck, Merced? Like, you raised some mean kids. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. Hopefully it's not like that anymore, but what the fuck? I know, this is so bad. So, so 
So because of that, like, he sometimes questioned if he should have come home at all. Oh, my God. Isn't that awful? Like, he... Ew. Like, life maybe was a little bit better with a rapist, child molester, pedophile. It's just so sad. This poor kid. Just, like, a tragic life. So he he and his father had a strained relationship, obviously, because his dad, like, wouldn't let him talk about anything and didn't let him seek help. So he was – and he and his dad were really close at first. Remember when he was little, he'd, like, really look up to his dad. So we didn't understand, like, why his dad wouldn't hug him anymore or wouldn't – like, didn't love him anymore. Oh, man. What the fuck? I know. So he also was eventually kicked out of his family home for drinking too much. Which it's like, I would be an alcoholic if I had to go through that and I couldn't talk to anyone and I couldn't get any, like, therapy for it. What are you going to do? You have to turn to something to, like, numb out the memories and the pain. Yeah, you definitely want to try and get it out. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. Anything to just black out to not have to deal with anything. And not understanding why your dad doesn't, like, love you anymore. Like, what the fuck? It's just so bad. So in 1985, he married a woman named Jody Edmondson. She was 17 and he was 19 at the time. And they had two kids together. He worked with child abduction groups, spoke to children about personal safety, and gave interviews about his kidnapping. And he became a Mormon, which it's like if you're looking for answers or like support, Mormons are going to brainwash you too. So On September 16th, 1989 he was on his way home from work and his motorcycle collided with a car he had fatal head injuries and died at the age of 24 fuck so he had no good like no good life i mean i guess up until seven up until seven and then maybe he and his wife had like a happy marriage and they had their two kids but he was only married at that point for four years and then he died So at his funeral, Timothy White was a pallbearer. He was 14 at the time. And then Timothy White later became a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department deputy. He died on April 1st, 2010 at the age of 35 from pulmonary embolism. White was survived by his wife and two young children, as well as by his mother, father, stepfather, and sister. Nearly five months later, on August 28, 2010, a statue of Stainer and White was dedicated in Applegate Park in Merced. Residents of Ukiah, White's hometown, also had a statue carved showing a teenage Stainer with young White in hand while escaping their captivity. Damn. It's so sad. And then I read that they were going to dedicate a park in Merced and call it Stainer Park. But because of the fucked up thing his brother did, they didn't want it to be associated with his brother. So Ugh. instead, they erected a statue. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So all really sad. Really sad. <sighs> and then I read that the whole like tarnished reputation, like if you were sexually assaulted or whatever. Like, obviously, we've learned a lot from them, and we do a lot more education with children about, like, good touch, bad touch. Like, I went into schools when I was doing the rape crisis thing, 
and we had like a little script and a play to teach kids about like, oh, if something makes you feel icky, like tell a trusted adult. And like, we actually talk about those things now, but not enough. And still people like don't know how to come forward with their stories because they're like, they don't, they might not be believed. They might be bullied. Like we've not come nearly far enough. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's fucked up either way, but, but, especially with, like, young men, where... Yeah, the stigma's even greater. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And then it's like, oh, are you gay? When it's like, okay, well, sexuality has nothing to do with rape. It's all about power and control, so... Right. Obviously, like, the conversation's not... We're not having enough conversations, or we're not having the right conversations, but something needs to change so this poor guy like this poor guy his parents kicked him out like the fact that he was questioning whether or not he should have like told police who he was like that is so tragic right and then you know his dad being like you don't need therapy Yes. And then kicking him out for ha- trying to cope with his issues. Like, obviously, you have he has issues. He's coping. He's using a coping mechanism. Yeah. And you're just going to be like, ah, you're just a bad kid. Kick you out. Yeah, for self-medication. Like, <sighs> then give me something else that I can use that's helpful. Oh, my God. Just to think that someone doesn't need therapy. Like, we all need therapy. What are you talking about? <laughs> mm-hmm. Things don't go away just because you don't talk about them. They become worse. Yeah, it was just all bad. <sighs> yeah, not not any too many funnies in that one, huh? Not a one. Not a one. Oh, and I did tell you that that Barbara woman didn't get any. She wasn't charged with anything, right? No, you did not tell me that. Yeah, she wasn't charged with anything ever. Uh, so this bitch is still walking around being a horrible person. Great. Great, 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 great. Yeah. Scrambled egg. Oh, so I also read this article. That was the last article, the East the East Bay Express where this woman who was living in Berkeley or working in Berkeley at the time, she, so there have been like lots of um, books and there was like a movie made about Stainer's kidnapping and he was consulted a lot in the movie for like the accuracy and all that. Um, But the movie was made in like the eighties, I think. So they didn't really go into any details because of course sexual assault wasn't something that they would like talk about. But anyway, so at the end of the movie, it says something about um, about Parnell, like, getting out of prison, like, really early on. And then she found out that he lived in Berkeley. So she, like, she looked him up and interviewed him, like, multiple times and was just, like, she was, like, I don't know oh. what I'm doing. Like, I don't know why I'm interviewing him. And then he was, like, really pretty old and like decrepit at the time and needed help like into the car and then she'd like take him they'd go out to dinner with like a photographer and like talk about his crimes and then she was like do you feel do you feel guilty like do you think you gave him a good life like what and he was like well his parents were so strict I thought they were too strict so I thought that I could like 
mm-hmm. raise him better. And she's like, yeah, but like, do you feel bad about, you know, like assaulting him basically? And he's like, yeah, maybe I didn't do like the best job, but it's like, what the, like what? Yeah. He was just like, oh. yeah, well there's like good and bad. And so it was just like totally normal. Like, oh yeah. You know, I tried he just my like best lived in his house in Berkeley and like with the neighborhood kids work, who just like could go out on his porch and I watch tried. like neighborhood kids playing and just try and buy whatever five year old you want. And Ew. oh, I just can't even imagine like interviewing this piece of shit. Like, wow. So. Anyway, toss salad, scrambled egg. The toss salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. The tossed salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. Yeah, I'd have to go tossed salad. I mean, it seems like he was a narcissist and manipulated people to get what he wanted and denied. And... and he knew it was wrong, but did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Like downplayed how bad things were to try and make people feel like it wasn't that bad. He was just giving him a Christian home. Right. And he was giving the parents a break because it seemed like, you know, they had their hands full with five kids. Well, they had too many kids, so. So he was helping them out. He was basically a community helper. He was the the pastor just lending a helping hand. Well, and I know. And this, I mean, this family, like. Clearly, they didn't know how to handle the situation. I'm sure that they were just out of their minds for seven years and then probably didn't understand, like, why their kid, when he was finally home and out of out of that person's clutches, why he couldn't live a normal life. Like, I'm sure the education was really poor back then around these issues. So I don't mean to, like, give the parents, like, that hard of a time because we obviously know a lot more now than than we did then. So they probably they probably didn't understand why he couldn't just be, like, be like the other kids who a weren't traumatized kid. and didn't yeah. suffer from probably PTSD amongst other issues, you know? Especially after seven, seven years, years of being brainwashed. Seven years of being... And constantly told that your parents And being raped you, and assaulted they, and the other adults yeah. in your life, like, weren't any better and... But everything I read too, like the kids who he went to school with, they they all like really liked him before he was bullied when he was living when he was a dentist. They were all they were all like, yeah, he was a like super nice kid. He was like always really friendly. He did really well in school. Like he he seemed like pretty. I mean, like what a strong person to seem so well adjusted to other people when he's like suffering for seven years uh, and still being like a nice kid to other people like wow it's tragic yeah no it's it's bad it's really pretty bad yeah okay the end and now for the portion that we like to call crime and mistakes where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we got away with shit for like far too long kind of weird how we choose like similar ones without knowing what the other person is going to pick <laughs> children it's going to be interesting to see what oh. we choose this week mm-hmm. speaking of eating children nope <laughs> i have a crime any sakes tale not about eating children 
Well, not really, but <gasps> it's funny. Okay. <laughs> okay, ready? I'm a little apprehensive, but go. Okay. Police in Minnesota say that a local woman expressed Minnesota? her irritation. Police in Minnesota. Thank you. Say they lo- that a local woman. Oh, I can't do <laughs> it. <laughs> Damn it. Police in Minnesota say that a local woman. (laughs) A local woman expressed her irritation with neighborhood kids by sending their home a letter inquiring if she could taste the children. What? (laughs) The recipients, a family in the town of Champlin. Champlin? God, I'm bad at pronouncing things. Champlin. Champlin. It's C-H-A-M-P-L-I-N. Champlin. Champlin. Sure. Recipients of a family in the town of Champlin with two elementary school kids say they received the anonymous letter on September uh, 27th. CBS Minnesota reports the full text read, The children look delicious. May I have a taste? (gasps) Oh, how creepy. (laughs) The next day, a woman who received the letter posted an incensed report a response on a community Facebook group informing the sender that the answer was a definite no. <laughs> Quote, to the individual who sent this letter, the answer is no. No, you may not have my children in any way, shape, or form. And beyond anything physical, you may not rob them of the security and comfort they feel. They trust yeah. the, the trust they have in other people or the joy they experience on a daily basis because of who, who they are. You do not have the right to try to steal this from them by sending an anonymous letter trying to rip their world apart. I will not let that happen. What you may do, since you were so formal in your letter to ask, is you may turn yourself into police, or you may (laughs) seek help for your sexual and or homicidal urges. Either way, the children in this community are off limits. Damn straight. Shortly thereafter, the family started getting magazine subscriptions addressed to your tasty children. Oh, my God. (laughs) According to local news station WTKR, Champlin police say neighbor Carrie Pernula, 38, admitted that she was behind the letter and address labels. Deputy Police Chief Ty Schmidt indicated that Pernula was motivated by neighborly gripes. She was angry because the kids were leaving things in her yard, and I think being a little noisy, being kids, the way they are, he told CBS Minnesota. What a bitch. (laughs) Pernula was arrested Friday, but was released on Monday. Schmidt told the Huffington Post that she's being charged with stalking and disorderly conduct. Her attorney, Debbie Lang, uh, told the AP that told the AP the incident was an unfortunate and complicated situation for everyone involved. (laughs) <laughs> i just think that that's like so such a funny like it's fucked up but it's such a funny like prank thing like something that i would do like the neighborhood kids are being like really fucking annoying we'll, like just start sending them newspaper subscriptions that say to your tasty children <laughs> except for people are fucked up and actually do eat children i know which no. is the worst because i so i found this story first before i found the nathaniel story oh my god so i was like oh this is so funny like it's so unreal like i think it's hilarious that like she threatened to eat the children because it's like so like out of left field and then i found the actual story and i was like oh maybe this isn't such a funny story yeah because he really was the witch from hansel and gretel oh god 
Wow. I'm in it. Okay, this one's well, like... Well, the fact that the mom yep. even responded being like, um, no, you can't. You not eat my children. <laughs> like, that doesn't warrant a response. So, this next story is like, it's not super funny, but it's crazy. Okay. Okay. So, the title... No, I'm not even going to read the title because it'll give okay. it away. Okay. In 2016, Angela Diaz... Hey, Angela. She was living the good life. She had recently married the love of her life, U.S. Marshal Marshal Ian Diaz, and was pregnant with healthy twins. But things took a turn. Diaz Diaz received horrific emails full of biblical threats and disturbing photos of dead babies. Oh, no. She even informed the police that that strangers were surrounding her house, threatening to rape her. Uh Uh-oh. It was soon discovered that some psycho stalker was pretending to be Angela while replying to rape fantasy ads on Craigslist. <gasps> one of the Are more cha- one of the more chatty correspondents later told cops that he and the rest of the perverts had been given her address, her dog walking routes, oh and, my god, and where to go on with the rape, er, and were told to go on with the raping even if she resisted. Oh. My God. Then the police found Diaz in an alley with bruises on her head. She said she just fended off someone who tried to assault her. Fortunately, the cops didn't have to look far for a suspect. Diaz told them that she was 100% sure that the dangerous monster was none other than Michelle Hadley, the fairly recent ex-fiancé of her hubby. Oh, no. And Hadley did have plenty of motive. Not only had Diaz stolen her fiancé the day she met him, but the newlyweds had moved into the condo Hadley and Ian bought for themselves. <gasps> something that she openly fought them over. Yeah, that's not a good move. So, when police arrested the ex, it seemed like an open and shut case. Until they finally traced the IP addresses and found that those, oh, no. de- found that those deranged emails sent to Angela Diaz... From inside the house? ...were, in fact, sent by Angela Diaz. I knew it! Oh, my God, I knew it! I was going to say, but if it wasn't, I would feel so bad. So <gasps> were the rapist's emails. I fucking knew it! As it turns out, Diaz was a pathological liar. She had organized her own rape attempts just oh, to get her rival thrown God. in jail forever. <gasps> she also lied about her family and where she worked. Even her pregnancy was a total fake. <gasps> She had bought fake sonograms on Etsy to show oh. Ian and his parents. And here's the real kicker. Angela was planning to sell her Gone Girl brand of insanity as a lifetime TV movie, which she had titled A Darkness Within, The Angela Diaz Story. Diabolical. Also, if you're aspiring to make a lifetime original <laughs> movie, like set your goals a little higher. <laughs> After raiding her computer, the police arrested Diaz and exonerated Hadley, who had spent 88 days in a cell by that point. Oh, no. Diaz was sentenced to five years in prison after pleading guilty to one hell of a rap sheet, including, but not limited to, perjury, grand theft, two counts of kidnapping by cop, and two counts of false imprisonment by cop. Wow. <laughs> I knew it. Also, she's giving us a bad name. I don't associate with her. 
No Angela's were. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So. I fucking knew it. Oh. <laughs> That's awful. Right. That's you so take awful. this woman, first of all, you take this woman's fiance. Yeah. And you marry him she right away. She must have been charming as fuck, right? I'm assuming. Wow. Because she convinced. She convinced this guy who was already engaged to immediately become engaged to her, ditch his ex-fiancé, and move into the house that him and his ex-fiancé had bought together to All for start a their lives. Movie. All for a lifetime movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. <sighs> wow. Just, like, a bunch of... Just a bunch of madness in this whole... Like, this is... Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so I think that Crime Any Sakes is going to include just basically any story that's like, what the fuck? Wow. That doesn't include, like, murder. Yeah, that's that's so diabolical. Wow. Yeah. So, well, I think wow. this has been an episode of, you know, being pretty speechless. That's just, <laughs> this is all shocking. Just like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, what what is this world? But... To be honest, if you look back at history, it's not any different. There's always yeah. stories of people eating children and... Oh. And trying to get their Lifetime movie going. Get their Lifetime movie going and... Ugh, God. All right. I'm going to try and not do a child-involved case next time since I just keep having yeah. to do it somehow. Yeah, I don't, don't want to do it understand. like any more kids' stories. Those are really sad. <laughs> I mean, we're going to have to really do more sad, eventually but... because there's a lot of them. But I know. I think I'm going to try and look for a case that doesn't involve that this time. This was a dark one. <laughs> this was really dark. Uh... I don't feel great, but that's okay. Oh, should we, like, wrap it up? Oh, yeah, let's wrap it. Wrap it up. Wrap it with a bow. Oh. Thanks Thank for listening. You. Thank you, all our wonderful fans and audience. audience members. We appreciate all of you tuning in um, to our weekly episodes. Hopefully we're doing all right. We're learning as we go. Definitely learning, hopefully improving. This episode has been brought to you by... <laughs> Humblebee Herbal. H-U-M-B-L-E... B-E-E-H-E-R-B-A-L Humblebeeherbal.com Check out their website. They got some cool stuff. Dope soap. Dope soap. And other things too. And it's all pretty sustainably made and packaged. So bye-bye plastic and hello earth. Hello earth and clean body. Yeah. Clean earth, clean you. Tune in next week for another horrific tale or two and hopefully some funny tales. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> All right. All right. Good See you guys. later. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.